episode of Science with Milk, No Sugar. I'm your hostess, Franziska, and I'm a science communicator who is very nosy and very curious to ask your guests all about life in academia and life outside the lab. Today we have a topic that's very dear to my heart, because it's leaving home and leaving academia. We're going to talk with Dr. Diana Gonzalez about her life because she is originally from Mexico City but moved all across the globe to chase a career in academia. She has a PhD and is a biomedical scientist with a doctorate from Charité Universitätsmedizin Berlin. That's our local, very big um, hospital here in Berlin. So she got a PhD from there. But now she actually left academia and she's going to tell us all about how that happened and what her life is now. Do you feel like a failure when you leave academia? I know that I struggled with this in the past. But yeah, if you want to keep listening, if this is a topic that is also dear to your heart, then get a hot cup of coffee and join us for the next hour where we talk about all about leaving home and leaving academia. Hey Diana, I'm so glad that we finally got to do this. You're actually my first guest. What an honor! <laughs> I know, you're the first person I'm recording with and I'm super, super nervous, but I'm pretty sure it's going to go well because, yeah, we, I mean, we don't know each other for that long, but... You know but I sort of know that we know each other for long. Yeah, yeah, it feels like that too. It's, I think we have spent more quality time than quantity time and yeah. that, that's what matters for me. That's true! Oh, that's it's nice that you said it. <laughs> so, can you give us a little introduction? Who is Diana? I am from Mexico. I'm born and raised in Mexico City, the big city. I am a scientist by background. Mm -hmm. What uh, did you do? What, what kind of scientist? That's a long path. So, I did my bachelor in pharmaceutical chemistry, and then I, at the end of my bachelor's, I really got into the brain, and I wanted to do neuroscience. But back then, there was no grad school. Mm -hmm. in neuroscience in Mexico so I started looking abroad and then my Google search took me into this teeny tiny country in Europe uh, called the Netherlands that had a lot of universities with a lot of neuroscience programs so mm -hmm. I applied to many of them I got into several but the first letter of acceptance that came in was from the University of Amsterdam so um, the best town to be honest in the capital right? yes yeah. of course <laughs> yes of course yeah and before that I have to admit that I didn't know much about the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I grew up in Mexico that is very influenced by American culture. Mm -hmm. So Europe was far, far away for me back then. And then, yeah, I applied to a scholarship um, from the National Council of Science and Technology in Mexico. I got it, otherwise I wouldn't have been able to afford that. Yeah, within three months, everything happened so fast. So within three months, I applied, I got the grant, I got into the university, and then they announced the results and I moved in. Like, I moved away oh from, from Mexico. Yeah, it was... Also, I was still living with my parents, so it was a very drastic change. Of, How old were you? I was 25. And then I stayed there for two years. I did a master's in um, biomedical sciences with focus on neuroscience. And then afterwards, I my thirst for knowledge <laughs> was still yeah still needed to be satiated. So I apply after at the end of my master's, I apply for more grad schools because I wanted to continue doing my PhD. Mm -hmm. I got invited to Berlin 
for an interview week and I just love the city I love the vibe I mean Amsterdam is beautiful and every time that I go back it's like a dream everything mm -hmm. is so picturesque and it's like taking so out picturesque. of a it's like taking out of a of a book, of a no? book. like a little fairy tale book Berlin is so dirty for people who are listening now we're actually in Berlin right now mm -hmm. it's where at least I'm based <laughs> I guess the two of us are based and there are some nice clean areas but and I mean compared to Amsterdam it's yeah 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 yeah. the contrast is is uh, drastic, drastic i would say and then it was between berlin and zurich my mm -hmm. last options and zurich is also lovely beautiful but i didn't see myself there mm -hmm. i think coming from a big city i i'm used to have the chaos and you're from mexico city right yes yeah. correct my favorite city ever i just love it there so <laughs> is it though it's my favorite city i love it there like why I'm, i just i I, I don't know, I love how busy it is, yeah. and I love the people, and the food, yeah. even being stuck in traffic, I'm like, yeah, but look outside, <laughs> I just love it so much, it's like, yeah, my, my partner had to almost relocate to New York, and I was like, New York is great, but I don't want to move, and I was like, but if you had to relocate to Mexico City, I'd think about it, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it's just something about it, like, I think, I mean, I'm quite privileged that I have like a steady income and steady job but with that money I could live so great in Mexico City so oh it's my very... god every time that I go back I feel like I'm rich yeah yeah so the standard of living for for someone who has a European income or like a German income in Mexico City is just like insane mm -hmm. like the, yeah Mm -hmm. yeah. I didn't yeah. know that it was your favorite city. I that makes me, nice. yeah, that makes me like you even more. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I know people usually say it's like Par Paris or. I fun. haven't heard a lot of people that said that is their favorite city. A lot of people are like, yeah, been there, great, very busy, very big, it is. a lot of, <laughs> a lot of traffic and yeah. uh, pollution, and that's it. They never said like it's my favorite city. Oh, they... But there's so much, you know, so many universities and yes. um, just. Really like it. I also like tacos, so I ate tacos every day. Maybe that contributed to the fact that I had such a great time there. <laughs> so, so you came from there and then you came to Amsterdam. Exactly, then I came to Amsterdam and then finally afterwards I had to decide between Berlin and Zurich and then I went for Berlin because Berlin gave me that city vibe mm -hmm. that I was missing after two years of living in the Netherlands. Yeah. yeah, Vienna is proudly Mexican. Mm -hmm. I think Lately, also, I have I have grasped my identity, my Mexican identity, even stronger mm -hmm. after long time living outside. Because yeah, throughout the pandemic, I struggled a lot. I had like a little identity crisis. And <laughs> what else? Diana is Diana is happy. Diana is very social. Diana loves contact to people. Diana mm -hmm. loves making people laugh. Yeah, she sometimes likes to be the center of attention, even though she doesn't like to admit that. <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> do you remember how we met? I do. Do you remember? I you do, of tell course. <laughs> I do, of course. I think I was fangirling over you a while, like oh, for I a didn't while. Know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. You suddenly pop up in my timeline on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Back then, I think I was finishing my PhD. I was already interested in science communication. So when I found you and I saw that you were based in Berlin, I thought, oh, interesting. And then I noticed that you were already into it, into science communication. Mm -hmm. So I, that, that made me follow you immediately. And then, I don't know, I really like your sense of humor. So I keep following you. And then I, I don't know, I just, you really inspired me. Like I Aww. really, then I found out that we were like from the same age, uh -huh. sort of. And then I just felt like, 
wow, so she's doing everything that I want to do. So it was kind of like, yeah, you were kind of like a role model, to be honest. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you messaged me on LinkedIn yes. one day. And I did. Like, who's, who's that? And I have to say, I'm shy at first instance. Mm-hmm. So that took me. And also back then I was already, fin- I had finished my PhD. I was unemployed. I was going through this identity crisis because I had just left academia. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to find out who I was outside mm-hmm. uh, because for like more than 10 years, my whole persona was linked to my scientific uh, career. So yeah, I messaged you and I was like very shy and I was like, okay, just do it. I mean, just, I mean, at the end you just want to ask, I'm going to have advice. Uh, how, how can I make it mm-hmm. to where you are or any tips, any advice on uh, career wise? So yeah, I messaged you and you were very kind. You replied to me. I remember that you said like, I'm super busy, but I'm happy to have a call. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was already like, wow, okay. She's very open and I like that. I like that you gave me a chance. And that's back then, maybe you don't know it, but I need, really needed a chance. Oh, so, I'm glad I could provide that. Yeah. I didn't know that at all. <laughs> so I, I didn't want to um, make you tell like a sweet story about me. I actually did not know. I have never like asked you about that. It yeah. just like, showed up in my... Um, in my DMs, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like, think yeah, it was so meant to be. I mean, to was. be honest, it was like destiny. It was destiny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you were just leaving academia, and we're going to talk about that, of course. But there's one question I always have to ask is, because that is also something I don't know about you, is like, how do you take your coffee? That's a good one, because I'm not a coffee drinker by nature, mm-hmm. so I prefer tea more I'm, oh. a tea, I'm a tea person but <clears throat> you drink coffee she's, she's giving me a side eye <laughs> <laughs> but i have told me that during my thesis writing process i got a lot into coffee so Good, coffee excellent. was my source of energy yeah. and my yeah sometimes the the magic drink that pushed me through mm-hmm. the days mm-hmm. also my my partner now wife uh, is a coffee drinker. So she, she also Excellent. got me into coffee. She has an amazing coffee machine that she took home with her when she moved in mm-hmm. <laughs> with me. And then, yeah, she she got me a little bit into coffee. But I have to say that, yeah, this might sound terrible. I, I might lose <laughs> some fans <laughs> if I have some out there. I do drink my coffee with a lot of milk and a lot of sugar. That's how I started. And now it's usually, you know, as, as, as dark I recently met one of my colleagues here in my new job is also super into coffee he invited he once brought a super fancy coffee like device and he was like filtering his own coffee and wow oh my god that was like he told me taste it pure like that no milk no sugar and tell me how it tastes like people get intense about their coffee yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right all right enough about coffee even though you know (laughs) <laughs> it's um, pretty much the center of my daily activities. I always like schedule my time around when I have my coffee. <laughs> but we're here today because we wanted to talk a little bit about leaving home, which you already mentioned a little bit, but also leaving academia. You just said just now that you know mm-hmm. we're actually in your office. So if you hear some background noise, that's um, other people who also work here. <laughs> at break to talk about today's sponsor oh my god they have been so so supportive and my biggest cheerleaders to make this podcast happen so huge thanks to the cluster of excellence neurocure 
been investigating neurological and psychiatric disease mechanisms and some misleading findings from basic research in it to clinical application. I mean, wow. I've known about them for quite a while because they also support Sopox Science, which is one of my biggest passions. I've been a member since 2019 and they've been just going strong and making just life for women in science possible and so, so much easier, especially for our group and for me. And I thank them so much for sponsoring this podcast. They've been nothing but supportive and kind. And if you haven't heard of NeuroCure, you absolutely have to look them up. My links are in the show notes. If you want to learn more about them, you won't regret it. And yeah, let's get back to the episode. it's super super interesting to hear about people who leave their home for academic jobs because in general I think an academic is supposed to find themselves very lucky if they can even get an academic job somewhere at all and not have any preferences for city so Mm -hmm. um, I know that I've been fortunate in, in my academic career that I studied here and I am from Berlin and I studied in Berlin so I can stay close to home I did leave occasionally, like I studied abroad. I've been mainly based in Berlin and um, I think lots of people who come from smaller places are naturally, I mean you're from a big place, (laughs) but um, are really expected to leave their home and leave their lives behind to uh, get an academic job and um, if you do want to find a permanent position for example, you need two things to happen. You need, a university needs to be looking for either like a PhD student or if you're further advanced, maybe like an assistant professor that has to be around the time you're ready to also apply, right? Yeah, you have, if you if you can apply for that, then there's a second problem where there's all this big competition. And I recently talked to someone about this where they said, well, from the committee's perspective, if you apply and you've already been there and you, like you, let's say you don't want to relocate and you want to apply at your current institute, they already know you and they know what you're doing. That sounds maybe like a benefit, but all these outside people, they have all these other great ideas and can maybe bring outside funding. So that's additional competition. And then if you also want to stay there, you have maybe like a supervisor who's older and more advanced. So they would choose you them, mm-hmm. you know, and not you like a little fish, mm-hmm. maybe fresh out of grad school or, you know, they have just like so many things that make people having to leave like after a PhD or after a master's. That is just really, really scary. So one of the reasons I left academia, by the way, is I couldn't deal with the stress and uncertainty of will I have a job in two years mm. or even a year. So we're both someone who left um, academia. Before that, leaving home is... Was that always something that you wanted to do, or was that out of necessary, like necessity? Do you because you were in Mexico City and what you went to do a bachelor's there, right? Like you started up there. Yeah. And then was it out of necessity that you left? Were you kind of done? Necessity, <laughs> I. You were. <laughs> <laughs> yes and no, I would say, or jein, I'd say in German. No, um, <laughs> I knew at some point at the end of my bachelor's, I felt that I was drowning, but not academically wise. It was more like personal. I always knew that I wanted to travel and see more outside Mexico because Mexico is such a big country that compared to 
Europeans like you, we do not really have to travel far to another country to see a completely different ecosystem or mm. a completely different city. So most of my holidays in the first 20 years of my life were inside Mexico, like south to the jungle, then mm-hmm. north to the desert. And then I guess also it was influenced by internet and the fact that I became aware of other cultures. Yeah, I just started like capturing all this information. Mm-hmm. I think it was by the time that the internet was really like kicking. And yeah. <laughs> you make it sound so old. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but... Then afterwards, it became a necessity. It really became necessary for me, especially once I realized that I wanted to study the brain because mm-hmm. that's what uh, still captivates me. And when I found out that there were no real graduate programs in Mexico back then, mm-hmm. uh, the first option for me was to go to U.S. And I did apply to some universities, but for me, the, the downside of that was the fact that to apply to unis in the U.S., you also have to pay for registration fee. Oh yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's similar in, in English. Application fee. Yeah, so you pay for, every time. So for me, it was like, okay, no, this is not possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, I come from a very. My parents have a very humble background. I come from. We we never were very. We never suffer mm-hmm. economically, but there were some moments in which it was evident that one of my parents was going through like a bad a phase yeah. of their work lives. So I think, and also my parents were people that since very early in my, in my life, they told me, we are not going to pay for university for you. Mm-hmm. So if you want to study, you have to go to public university. Mm-hmm. That's it. And for me, that was not a problem because the public university in Mexico, at least in Mexico City, that is UNAM, is the, is the best in Latin America. So yes. it's, it's one that every Mexican wants to go. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, my parents did ride in front. So for me, like I, I learned oh, wow. how to ride my bicycle there. I, uh, yeah, I broke my arm there. So, <laughs> yeah. So that was a given. I knew that I wanted to study there. Yeah. And then, of course, I remember the first time that I came to my mom after I did my research and I told her, I want to move to Europe to do a master's. And I was like, I'm not going to pay for that. And it's mm-hmm. like, I'm not asking you for money. Mm-hmm. I'm letting you know that I have done my research because I really did like, I opened my Excel file. I wrote down uh, names, programs, deadlines, requirements, etc., mm-hmm. etc. And I applied to a lot. We are very alike, by the way. I would have an Excel form with everything I still do that yeah I do not remember when that came from because before that I have never done something like that I think I was very committed to it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was very committed and then my sister is also a scientist she's three four years younger than me also in the biological field also we still talk a lot she's still one of my she's still one of my best friends and we go to each other for advice a lot and she told me yeah I want to do an internship in the US so we both had this I think since very early in, in an academic career, it's clear that you have to, to get reputation, to see more, to get uh, to know better techniques mm-hmm. and have the best kind of education. Yeah, you have to go outside. You have, you, you kind of expect And to, to gather there. experience from other research environments. Mm-hmm. Did you find that leaving your home, well, home city and leaving your family and everything behind, is it like hard to keep friendships and relationships alive because if you have to uproot everything every now and then you know if you have limited contracts or you go for a certain program to study that, that there's always like a deadline until you're done and you graduate and you have to resettle somewhere else so did you find that was like a big struggle or were you always good at keeping keeping those um, alive i realized that i i was bad at uh, keeping contact once i moved out mm-hmm. 
I also moved out in a very particular situation. I was in a relationship, my first long relationship. I was super in love, so it was difficult for me to leave. But when I left, for me it was kind of like a, a brief, a temporary, um, uh, yeah, so only like a two-year situation, right? Because I, I plan, okay, I'm coming back mm -hmm. to my my girlfriend from back then, to my parents, my family, and that made it super difficult for me to to really emerge in the country, no? Because you thought you're leaving again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And first of all, because I was, yeah, I mean, it was really like my, my really my real first love and intense and so on. It was very difficult for me to make that transition and to fully, mm -hmm. yeah, disconnect from mm -hmm. Mexico and start like enjoying. I feel guilty for enjoying because I felt that I was leaving people behind. I knew that my parents had a, a hard time, but my parents had always wanted the best for us. Mm -hmm. So that was not an issue. And once, I have to admit that the first three months were very difficult because I just was basically suffering. I was just nostalgic. I had like homesick sickness yeah. for three months. I was really missing everything. It was a very difficult transition for me because also I didn't know anybody. Mm -hmm. So of course, and I was the only Mexican, I was the only non-Dutch in my group. So that made it even more difficult. And all my classmates knew each other from their bachelors. Mm -hmm. So I was the outsider, like from, like in the group, but also in real life because I was not Dutch. So yeah, it was a very difficult transition, I have to say. And six months, once I started, like four months after, four months into the masters, I had to start my first internship. And that's when I met my first group of friends that were also doing an internship in the same lab as I was doing. And mm -hmm. that, that was a game changer for me because we were coming from other countries. They were non-Dutch. Oh, so you were all like international. Yeah. Okay. There were two Dutch, Dutch um, guys there, like a guy and a girl who I still very in contact with. And they're some of my best friends. But that made it easier. I mm -hmm. think they also had experience abroad, of course, because by, I don't know, by 20, I realized when I moved to Europe that by 20, at least... Uh, half of you had already like traveled six yeah. months around the world yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah which is amazing but we, we don't have that that those chances mm -hmm. then i think i spent a lot of time like really kind of like grasping and and adapting to the new environment and that if in retrospective i would have done it completely different but i mean i cannot repeat the past I cannot go back in time, mm -hmm. but that also made me kind of like neglect because I really then after six months I was fully into Europe and like ah oh, Europe is amazing right. and the Netherlands is great and kind of like forgot a little bit my friends and so my family you, you back then. So you kind of did a one eighty. You kind of went all we were all yes. in the past and now you just like yeah Mexico whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um. But at the same time, it was like a very useful filter of mm -hmm. friendships because. The ones that uh, remained after that cycle are the ones that are st like I'm still very in contact with. We text every week or so. Yeah, but I did discover that I am not the best at keeping touch. Mm -hmm. I tend to get, especially as a scientist, I was trying to be the best and to it was a, it was a lot of information from every context, like socially, academically in terms of like another country, another mm -hmm. language, another weather, everything was different. So it was like somebody just like put me in the Netherlands and slapped me in the face like three times. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I'm here. <laughs> it was too, too much input at once. Yeah. And if you have to do that every three years, mm -hmm. always with a different language. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, also Dutch. Not many people speak Dutch outside of the Netherlands. 
Mm-hmm. So really, like I, I also imagine many people who move there will not know any Dutch or learn any Dutch. So did everybody speak English in your... Yes, group? luckily, yeah. yes. Okay. So the master's was in English and the Netherlands' uh, second language mm-hmm. is English, like so everybody. So yeah. <laughs> Do you find... So, so if someone would say they wanted to pursue an academic career like you have, Would it be realistic to do that if they're unwilling to relocate? Let's say they have um, obligations at home, maybe they're caretakers, or they simply don't want to move, like they just love their city. Do you think that's a realistic a realistic idea for them to then become academics? I think so, because, I mean, started um, having started my career in Mexico, I you kind of like get acquainted with the, with the niche of scientists there, and th- I had the chance to interact with a lot of people that spent a sabbatical year abroad and then they came back to Mexico mm-hmm. uh, or less, like six months abroad and then came back to Mexico and they established their career in Mexico just rotating in different labs. Mm. So it's funny because, uh, for example, my sister, who I mentioned that is also a scientist, recently finished her PhD as well. She has been living in, um, in the U.S. in Lexington and Kentucky for like at the same time as I've been living here in Berlin, like say eight years, she recently moved to New York for a postdoc. But once, once she was done and she was looking for advice, uh, she wanted to do a postdoc in the same university in a different group. And her advisor, her her main supervisor from the PhD, told her, "No, that's that's suicide. That's suicide in your career. You have mm-hmm. to go to another lab in another city." I was, but I was also told that, like I worked, um, God, so many years at. Uh, Natural History Museum and the director of the museum told me I should not do a PhD at his museum because I've done my bachelor thesis there, my master's thesis. He's like, no. <laughs> I mean, he didn't turn me down. Let's like clarify. He's, he like he didn't reject me. It's just when um, I had a very honest conversation with him, mm-hmm. uh, randomly had like an exhibition opening. He was like, no, you need to leave and then you can come back. But you gotta get out of here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Cool, yeah, like I thought about it. I find that you from Mexico City, I'm from Berlin, they're big cities with many universities, so technically we could be lucky and stay in the same city, but if you're from, I don't know, a small town in the Netherlands, that's maybe not Amsterdam, I think it's a little bit trickier, right, like to leave. There's only a limited number of positions. Like I mentioned earlier, you have to be lucky that the position is open when you're ready, Yeah. and then you have to compete with people who are willing to relocate, And something I never really thought about is um, preparing for this episode. I read about how to relocate, and you probably know all about uh, relocation. But they said that if you are an early stage academic, you're often not eligible for funding for relocation. So if you have to get a new apartment and move across country, or even like move, I don't know, out of country, that there are no funds to pay for that. Mm. Like you know, the flights and, and like everything that goes into moving. So if you're a little grad student that already makes like barely a living and then you have to move for an internship or for a postdoc, some people just simply cannot do that, especially in the US where you have to pay a lot of tuition. Again, I'm very lucky in Germany you have to pay no tuition and when <laughs> I moved abroad to America to study for a year, I also got a scholarship. I didn't have to pay anything, but I would have been $25,000 for a year in a public school, not a private school. Like that blew my mind. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. For the masters in the Netherlands, as non as a non European, I was paying twelve thousand euros per sem- per year, <gasps> compared to Dutch students that were paying 
10% of that, so 1,200. And um, back then there was a problem with the first payment, so I was not recognized when I first arrived in the Netherlands and I was like, hey, I'm here. <laughs> the payment hasn't been done back then, so I didn't appear in the system. And Gosh. also I didn't receive my first allowance one month later. So I had to pay a lot of things at once. My rent, I mean, like uh, back then I was getting an allowance of a thousand euros per month. Mm -hmm. With my your scholarship? Rent, with my scholarship, yeah. yeah. So my rent was 600 euros. Mm -hmm. So I was, 60% of my salary already went into my, into my rent. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. And now that I'm seeing, like, I'm in the relocation business now, which is, for me, is, is amazing. I think that, for example, that should be, there should be a dedicated budget for mm -hmm. international students coming to do uh, um, whatever kind of position, master's, mm -hmm. uh, PhD, or postdoc, there should be a relocation budget included in the, in the, in, in, in the contract. Because yeah. you do sign a contract mm -hmm. at the end, you know? You spend your time there, your, you, you, your intellectual property is basically them, mm -hmm. <laughs> theirs, yeah. theirs. And I see it now with clients that I'm, that I'm helping and the companies that, I, uh, that we support, that they do designate a relocation budget for them mm -hmm. and that is amazing because otherwise they wouldn't be able like translate your documents uh, legalize stuff to be able to make it comparable to European standards oh God, I spend so much money on that kind of right oh, and not everybody can do translations it has to be like if someone was allowed to do yeah like, these like academic <laughs> and then they're more expensive because yeah. they're certified yeah, yeah all yeah. these things that you ended up losing a lot of money in the first process so yeah relocation is amazing but uh, there's a lot of money implied definitely there in the yeah. first phases yeah yeah definitely tricky so i think if someone would want to only stay in their city and they have a great supervisor already like i was very lucky i had my supervisor through like basically my entire academic career it's a big city with lots of institutes where you can rotate or maybe go to a different university after a bachelor's or after a master's i think there is a way to stay mm -hmm. but I also believe that sometimes it can be tricky and it's always implied that you'll have to lead. Be happy that you even get anything. I feel like there's always this kind of sense of, well, be happy you found something. Exactly. Like, okay, maybe it's not a country you want to move to or a city you want to live in, but I mean, like, there's so many people who want to do what you do. You should just be grateful. Mm -hmm. This kind of mentality of just being grateful. Like, I think lots of people don't realize that, yeah, science is great. And yes, we, we, we live for it. We burn for the research. But we also have to make a living. We also want to have a family, maybe, and settle. And it's kind of this, uh, that's, that's something that people sometimes forget, even getting into academia I think I always thought like oh I just moved around the world I don't care but now I'm a bit older and my parents are getting older and I have a partner and I'm thinking can I just like yeah I mean I'm also planning to to move um, maybe after the pandemic <laughs> um, but the, the, the if, that thought, if there's even an after <laughs> there isn't an after but the, the thought of now that I'm older like uprooting myself and starting new somewhere it's also getting a bit more scary definitely right? when you yeah when you're 20 I mean the world is your oyster you do what you want you know mm -hmm. you're invincible but then I feel like the older you get the thought of being 45 and doing like another position and somewhere and have to move again like of course that can always happen even to non-academics and just regular jobs that they have to leave for some some reason but yeah i feel like unless you get tenured at a university then you have never have job security and you just have which to which is also super difficult as a, as a woman as me based in, in europe as a non-european mm -hmm. woman queer like you add all these things There's and that already so many the, layers exactly and yeah. already the percentages uh, and the chances are yeah minimum 
But just one thing that I wanted to mention on that regard is also the fact that there's no rules, right? Like you heard that from your supervisor, my sister heard that from her supervisor, excuse me. And where is it in, in the rules? Like there's not, there's not a yeah. guideline that mm-hmm. says the ideal graduate student needs to uh, or it's mandatory that you spend mm-hmm. uh, your masters in one lab and then you have to change to another university there's not such a thing yeah in your case implied, you know, it's just like this exactly is are this is how they are that exactly no, why why are they like that in your case for example i can maybe understand it because you were already in germany as mm-hmm. a german but you could still as you said there's so many research institutions here in the city mm-hmm. in berlin that it would have been easy for you to do and, and to stay within the city but mm-hmm. change the institute right for my sister and for me for example because i also heard the same from my supervisor it's like but i'm already abroad like yeah, you already done this i'm already yeah, here <laughs> so i why i i like the yeah. city i finally settled down exactly i think you 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 uh, you phrase it very well the older you get the more difficult for you is to like first of all the longer it takes for you to like plan your roots and like like put them there and once they start to feel solid you have to move again and it's like not again like really i just finally i'm learning german now (laughs) i know how to move around in the u-bahn you know so you have to move yeah (laughs) So there are many reasons um, why, I mean, we're not going to go into every reason there is for, in our case, women to leave academia. Mm. That's uh, for maybe another day. And there are many, many reasons. But both of us, we left academia for a semi-stable job, right? <laughs> so we were both mm. working. And yesterday I actually did a Google search because I thought, okay, what does Google tell me when I Google leaving academia? I found just, <laughs> I have to read you a quote. I, I Googled what happens when you leave academia. found this website called beyondprof.com and it said leaving academia will open up a world of opportunities, intellectual challenges and make you more engaged and energized with your life and work than you ever felt for leaving academia. That person is very optimistic. <laughs> that person found life after leaving academia. I mean, yes. I was like, wow, okay, I okay. mean, talking about selling, he or she or they must have been to, like, ended up in marketing or something like that. <laughs> I know. And then there were five steps for leaving academia. This is the one I told Port earlier that made me laugh. So five steps of leaving academia on medium.com. Step one, recognize that you're not alone. I think we've done that step, yeah. right? We recognized it. Step two, do your homework. It's like, see what's out there. Be, you know, there's always, like, your skills are always needed elsewhere. Um, skills are transferable. Yeah, we reached step one, right? We know yeah. that. There's also step three, like, recognize your skills, you know, so these kind of work together. Step four, make money. <laughs> it's like, okay. I mean, we, I don't even know what to say. Like, yeah, making money is pretty good for having a stable life somewhere, maybe settling down. I don't know why this is just a step. Step four, make money, okay. And then step five, enjoy your life. <laughs> they sound so easy. These are very, I mean, lots of this seems like they're just manifesting, you know? Yeah. I'm gonna enjoy my life. I'm, I'm gonna, gonna make, make money. money. <laughs> <laughs> so so it makes it sound like leaving academia is just magically solving all your problems you had with mm. academia in the first place, which I think two of us, or the both of us can agree it's not um, what, what it's like. You, you still gotta work, you still gotta, you know, grind or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, I just thought it was really funny, the, the Google search. You know how you have re- re- relatable, like related search results? You know, you Google something that says underneath what other people search for. Uh, one of them was, why is ac- academia so toxic? 
Is academia a dead end? How to tell your supervisor that you're leaving? Why are so many people leaving academia? This is so, but for me, the interesting part is that there's people that had Googled this. I know. So that tells you already a lot. I know. And I had to, I was offered a PhD and I had to tell my supervisor that I'm not doing doing that. I'm going to go into science communication instead, which she always supported. It's great. So Amazing. I sat at home almost crying because I hate confrontation and she's like the best, like so sweet, the best. I, so, so I didn't have to fear the confrontation, but even the thought of having to sit down and be like, so actually I'm not doing that. <laughs> so, but thanks for the last 10 years <laughs> was so hard. I don't think I Googled <laughs> how to tell your advisor you're not doing it, but the thought was just so scary. How long ago was that? <sighs> Maybe three years. Ah, okay, not so long. I was about to make a mean joke. I was maybe about to say, like, maybe you just didn't Google, but you just searched Yahoo, Yahoo questions. Yeah. Like. No, no, no. like, I, I've done my bachelor's and my master's with the same supervisor, and then uh, we applied for funding to do a PhD, and the first round was rejected. Mm -hmm. I kind of made peace with that. I thought, like, that's okay. I need a break anyway after my master's. Uh, my other supervisor, you have to have two. Yeah. Uh, for those who don't know, you have to have two. During my very end of the leg of writing my thesis, my supervisor died, and it was just, I was just like, what am I going to do? It was hor horrifying, and I, um, we were also friends, like I knew his, he wasn't even that old, but I, you know, I, I knew his wife, I knew wow. his daughter was my age, you know, so, um, and that supervisor was also a former supervisor of my other supervisor, the one I said was really great, and I was the one who had to tell her that he had oh. died because he was at my institute. I was in much closer contact, of course. That was just, it left me so, like, flailing because I had lost someone who had shaped me as a researcher and just as a person, you know, so supportive always and um, that was really hard I had like problems in my personal life that um, were adding to that I had when I wrote my, th my thesis I had three academic jobs which I don't recommend like as a student I had student jobs and they were all academic they were all I, I worked at the Botanical Garden at the museum and at the university I had like these little student jobs because I was terrified of failing an, a, as an academic, so I wanted to do other things to gain experience. So I worked at the international office of my university because I had studied abroad, and I thought, hey, if academia doesn't work out, I'm gonna do that. And that's actually also what I'm doing right now. Um, I, I work uh, as an uh, international supervisor for students who come from abroad. Mm. But yeah, that was like something that was really important to me, but that also meant I had too much going on. That was like too much, and I realized I had to have a break so when the funding was turned down I was like okay that's okay like I'll have a job and I'm I'm enjoying it so it doesn't matter but then like a less than a year later she messaged me and we'd stay in contact so it wasn't out of the blue but she messaged me said hey so um, remember how we, we submitted it was accepted and you can have it just let me know and I was like oh my god <laughs> how much time passed in between like less than a year. Like, okay. but, but I had already not forgotten about it, but I... You moved. I, you moved yeah, forward. I moved yeah. on. I moved yeah. on. Like, I was in a job. I was not doing research. We were still, like, publishing the paper, like, my thesis. So I was still, like, kind of halfway into academic, uh, like, writing and work and stuff. But I had a full-time job. I had a whole new structure in my life. And for the first time, I had a nine-to-five job, which was just absolutely mind-blowing to me. And my first month, I kept doing overtime. And my boss was like, yo... You need to chill and go I know home. The feeling. 
I know yeah. the feeling. Go home. Like, what are you doing here? It's like sad. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but it's, I don't know how. There's, I, uh, I will always find work. There will always be work. Yes. And I can just do it, right? I can do it because tomorrow there's more work. She's like, no, it's five. You turn off your computer, you go home, and you go to bed at a reasonable time. <laughs> like, God. I don't know how to do that anymore. Yes. Yes. It was just. Yeah, 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 yeah. and um, <laughs> you know, I do all these like side projects and stuff. So really, I work a lot more than I should. <laughs> so I do still do a lot after you know I turn off my computer, my work computer at five. I open my private computer and I keep doing stuff. But that's that feels more like a reward and like fun. So it's you no, know, it is work and but but I don't know, good work. <laughs> and good work yeah but um, I had left academia and I was um, every now and then I look back and I'm like oh how my life could have been but I'm glad I, I did it and you also did it and maybe you can um, briefly tell us what triggered that like you said you had when we met you had just finished your PhD mm. did you ever consider doing a postdoc or were you just like no I'm done <laughs> if you say <laughs> you're done then you're probably of the 80% of all the women that I know and befriended that have done a PhD who are then like, no more, mm. <laughs> no more, I'm doing something else. So do you belong in that category? You yeah, start? totally. Yeah, oh. I'm there. <laughs> Hi friends. I'm from that. You're I'm one of that 80%. I'm from that 80%. Yeah. And it was difficult because I never, so I'm a person that finishes everything that I start. Same. I cannot give up. I like rather suffer. Right? I'd rather yeah. suffer. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. suffer for six years. Yep. <laughs> and that made it even more difficult at mm -hmm. the end I, don't, I mean I think my partner just pushed me to the finish line yeah. it was just like a combination of like Club Mate and oh, same uh, <laughs> Club Mate like yeah, yeah, yeah I'm drinking lots of Mate Club tea. Mate is a very high caffeinated beverage here yes. in, in yes. Germany I think it's I think them in my, in my thesis by the way I couldn't have done it you mentioned that I yeah, mentioned true. them yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes true completely so caffeine but But yeah, I I was so done with it. I think I mean I just I just hate to say that it was it was a personal decision, definitely. But I also never felt support from my supervisor mm -hmm. to continue. Like um, I think also for example, I always felt if I continue this is because I want to do it better for the next generation. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what for a brief moment I contemplated the possibility of doing a PhD, and then potentially becoming a supervisor or a, or a principal investigator just because I wanted to have everything that I missed during my PhD. You wanted to be a role model for the next generation. Yes, exactly. Yes, mm. exactly. Because I feel that, and I, I was surrounded by a lot, of, a lot of students from my cohort that were feeling the same. And at the end of my PhD, I had a very, right after I defended, I had a very interesting conversation with who was also my, yeah, my, my teammate, my colleague, because we were part of, of the same research group and I always saw him as this outstanding incredibly smart guy who had everything in control and was on top of things afterwards we talked and he like just gave me a very nice speech with which I really appreciated we were never that close but we always supported each other he just like praised me a lot and I was like wait what are you talking about like you are so smart and it's like no, but you finished. Like, I, I'm barely managing myself right now. And then we found out that we were both suffering, but we never talked to each other. Mm. I just felt that in our particular case, at least, we were put in this position of like, no, you have to show your best face. Mm -hmm. And academia doesn't teach you how to be 
susceptible, how to show vulnerability, you mm -hmm. know, and that is so important. That is so important in life and that is so important also in research mm -hmm. to admit, oops, I made a mistake, it happens, or it's not, we're so afraid because every week we have to show progress, we have to show uh, results. Mm -hmm. We are so afraid of showing negative results when there's still results, you know, and they yeah. can also maybe a mistake or uh, finding out that you're not going in the correct direction makes you redirect your steps and then find the right answer or the right direction as mm -hmm. well at the end. Yeah, it was a decision that I made myself. I didn't want to continue anymore. And I also felt at the end, and I also finished in a very crazy time. It was in the middle of, of the pandemic. My defense was so out of the... Did you do it remotely? I didn't because it was in this in this brief period in which they allowed to do it presential uh -huh. again, but with no audience. Mm -hmm. So it was me and my comedy. Everybody masked, mm -hmm. and the comedy spread throughout a big auditorium. And that's the only reason why I was allowed to remove my mask. Nobody was there. My parents couldn't travel from Mexico mm -hmm. to be part of this incredible achievement. My partner was waiting for me outside, also without an idea of what was happening. Yeah, it was also so unconventional and so anticlimactic because since yeah. the beginning you I also attended so many differences throughout my PhD times that I was like, yeah, I really want to do this, mm -hmm. you know, and like be there with all these people and have this massive celebration of like, yeah, I accomplished this big yeah <laughs> achievement. Yeah, at some point I just felt it was a sad ending, no? It was Funny. a sad ending, yeah. I think I would I could believe that, that it was a sad ending factor, I really felt that I also that I had never like a goodbye party like all these people have at the end of their times you know mm -hmm. like a graduation part no I had didn't have any of this so it felt so that it also made me not want to look back Right, I recently yeah. I recently went back because um, I'm moving out and I left one of my house keys there. I always had it in my drawer just as an emergency, like as a backup key. Mm -hmm. And I went back and all my stuff were put in boxes because I never returned to actually remove my oh, items see. from the office. Like yeah. I never did that because also we were not allowed to enter mm -hmm. the building because of lockdown and stuff. So it was just also such an unconventional way to finish that for a moment also, besides the fact of like wanting to redo that and making it better for the new generation, I also felt a there was a tiny period in which I thought, I want to have like a redemption with science, you know, I want to finish in a good, mm -hmm. in a sweet taste, you know, yeah. it's still bittersweet. Mm -hmm. I love academia. It has gave me my best moments, but I'm also happy that I left because since I left, I also have been able to explore these other sides of who I am and also increase my skills. And at the end, to be honest, I never wanted to be a professor. So mm -hmm. it's yeah. something that I never wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I really think that one of the things, one of the uh, qualities that you need to have to be in academia is to be very ambitious and to be sometimes aggressive. Mm -hmm. And I'm not that way. Same. I'm like peace and love we let's can all work be together let's, i like that know, yeah. i like that so much yeah. that's what i like because i noticed that from you as well like we're doing this together and it's i'm there you know because mm -hmm. this is your project and i want to support you because you're my friend and mm -hmm. i want you to succeed why can academia be like that you i know, know? that's like what my biggest beef with it because like we um like we did soapbox science together you were speaking you were amazing by the way. <laughs> thank you um, uh, and Berlin science we keeps using that picture of you like doing your talk and um i'm just like still it's one of my favorite moments of our friendship where you just talked about your research that is like i love being like hey i know someone who's great 
we should like, use her. But if you're in academia, if you're like, you can't do that because then you're left behind. You can't be like, hey, I have a friend who joined the lab. Okay, well, then she gets your funding. You know, like, it's kind of, you, you, can't, you cannot. You have to, like, have elbows. And I, I, I hate that. I can just not, I'm quite confident in talking in public and I have, like, all these, like, skills that are useful and I'm proud of them and they come easy to me. But I cannot talk myself up in that part of my life. Like I can't, can't be like, yeah, uh, you should hire me as a PhD student because I'm better and I've published that and do that. It feels, I don't like it because I'm thinking, oh, but everybody else is also so great. Like, can I meet them? Can I talk about what they've done? You know, like I'm just, I'm a very nosy person, so I want to know about everybody mm-hmm. <laughs> all the time. What I, my, the path that I took of doing stuff like this or you know doing interviews with other academics and I can ask them all about it this is what I love and I can tell other people what great stuff you're doing or you know like what, what other um, researchers are doing doing that for myself it's um, kind of difficult you have to be really good at marketing yourself and I think I can fake it very good on social media but then when it's in person I don't want to compete me neither I because I think it goes beyond your uh, intellectual skills. What if you are a brilliant person, but your your personality is very shy, and mm-hmm. then by uh, by definition, you are not going to be able to to sell up uh, mm-hmm. yourself, and then you lose a chance, mm-hmm. and then you're taking a chance from a great scientist. For me, it's always like, why not giving chances? I, I totally into second chances, and and totally into believing people until they show you the opposite, right? Yeah. Like, um, and. Yeah, also as part of my, in the institute that I was working on, at the very end, uh, one professor came and said like, we're looking for PhD students. I was not planning to hire any any PhD students, but they have to be brilliant. Like if you know any, like brilliant, I don't want anybody else. And he's like, what? What a mean statement. Because what does that even mean? How do you measure that? Isn't like, it supervising somebody, helping that person find their potential? Uh-huh. And yeah. like... Yeah, whoa! <laughs> the light just turned off in the office. I'm gonna leave this in, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow! Oh my god! They turned off the light. Is it? Oh well. Well, we're gonna do it in the dark. Yeah, we, we can do it in the dark. dark. <laughs> we continue in the dark. I'm totally fine by that. But it's not even that late. It's like no. five. 20 p.m. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> All right, let's keep going. This is like a... See, this is what happens when you record yeah. in yeah. a rework. But yeah, I, I know what you mean. Like, it's the kind of thought of, I want someone who's amazing already. Like, okay, so why would they need you then? You exactly. Know? It's, um, yeah, that, that, that... And I recently saw on Twitter someone who posted a screenshot of an email they had gotten. And it said, yeah, like, I expect everybody work hard working 40 hours a week is not hard i expect you to work 70 hours like me like 70 that's a seven and a zero how how like you're not you you don't work this was not for that means already like 10 hours during the week to make to make weekends uh uh-huh to make 50 to and 20 yeah yeah the, he he expected his graduate students to work um, like sixty to seventy hours, something like that. He said, and again, if okay, if you you know a medical intern and you have to do you know like these crazy shifts, okay, that adds up quickly. I understand, but that was just 
in you know like just <laughs> PhD students in like who do lab work. It, it wasn't a medical field. It was. Mm-hmm. supervising fungi or whatever you know like nothing wrong with that but do you have to do that for 70 hours a week i heard that i heard that i'm not gonna say from who but i heard the fact like science doesn't sleep you know yeah it's not you. enough <laughs> your eight hours on the week is not enough you have to are not enough you have to do more yeah you have to Gosh. work on weekends and i was like no 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 it's yeah it's wild um and we talked about relocating right like you relocate but now you're actually relocating again yeah <laughs> you're gonna relocate again that's why i said earlier that i'm based in berlin so yeah by the time you release this i'm not gonna be in berlin anymore you're not gonna be in berlin so but you left academia right like what is your job now because you work at a we work you don't have an, like an office we don't have right? a real office i work so for a, mobile already yeah i work for a really cool startup that is called localize what we do is we're in the business of global mobility we offer an app that is used by companies, particularly the human resources department, mm-hmm. that helps talent relocate to, we started mostly in the German market to relocate talent to Germany. Mm-hmm. But from now- From all over, from all over from the world? From all over, okay. yeah. I recently managed my first case from the Maldives. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's that was very interesting. Cold for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I, and it's amazing. And now we open our markets to Spain the UK, Ireland, and the Netherlands oh, from this year. Netherlands yeah. again, full circle for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love it. I so love job, it. Your job is now to help other people relocate. Exactly. After you re- re- relocated a lot. Exactly. And, and why are you moving now? Is it just um, for work? But you're saying in your job, do you have to s- switch jobs again, or why are you leaving Berlin? The advantage of the job that I that we do is that it has a hybrid setup, mm-hmm. so um, it's remote work. Mm-hmm. Uh, my colleagues are based throughout the world. I have mm-hmm. colleagues based in Chile, in Kazakhstan. Cool. We, we do work on the European time, Central European time from 9 to 6, mm-hmm. ideally. There's people that start early and finish um, yeah, before because they're based... Um, right time difference, so exactly. it's always someone working, no? Yeah, <laughs> correct. It's um, just like academia again. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we we recently had this job like like our talent never never sleeps because like yeah. once you have people falling asleep, their their Australians are waking up and uh-huh. they have a lot of questions and right, yeah. Right. I'm really looking for personal reasons. So My, it's because you want to. Yeah, time. exactly. This okay. is the first time. Exactly. Thank you for mentioning that. Yeah. This is the first time that I'm doing it because I want to. That it it is not forced by my um, occupation so whenever you feel sad about leaving I want you to remember that yeah if you know it's it's nice yeah true right yeah I'm, I'm I have completely co- like have mixed feelings completely because I have a love hate relationship with Berlin mostly love I love Berlin <laughs> it's such a great city it's such a great city and I grew up so much here but now I'm doing it because yeah, I think since last year I got a lot into this mode of like flowing. Mm-hmm. I felt like I ended up on this job that I'm doing now because I let myself flow. I was mm-hmm. looking and looking and looking for academic positions, mostly as a scientific coordinator. I wanted to be on the other side of the yeah <laughs> of the balance. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought that by applying to those kind of positions, I had already it was like a like a entry level job into doing what I really wanted that was like to leave a mark and change the, the, the environment of the academic environment right for others it w- it just didn't happen and then I think it was also bad timing pandemic a lot of companies mm-hmm. had a higher uh, higher freeze right, yeah. I ended up uh, at localized out of 
luck I guess but I love it because I I have an amazing team I our work is basically a teamwork so it's mm -hmm. very collaborative that what's that that's what is missing a lot in science because for six years it was only me my minds and uh, long days in the dark microscope yeah. room you know like no in the dark again yeah and now in the dark again yeah but it's not so bad because you're not a mouse at least we can we, we can talk we can talk yeah but yeah sometimes you don't realize how the the, the scientific endeavor it's a very isolated one mm -hmm. it can be yeah I can see every day a direct impact of the job that I put like oh, I love that and I That's love nice. that yeah. I haven't experienced it ever mm -hmm. and I'm loving it I'm loving it's it. It's great motivation. Yes. I have two more questions before um, we finish mm -hmm. today. And one is, is there something you wish you had known before getting into science? Is there something that surprised you or that you didn't see coming or you wish you would have been warned? Maybe that you had to move a lot or is there something looking back? I guess the fact that, yeah, I think I moved out of Mexico expecting or kind of like assuming that it was gonna be better anywhere else outside mm -hmm. Mexico. And I mean, not only in terms of, of science, um, but also in terms of the environment mm -hmm. and, and, and the working atmosphere. I realized that uh, academia has, has a very systemic problem mm -hmm. that is very rooted. So that was disappointing. So it's basically the same yeah almost anywhere exactly so it wasn't a big change in that regard it wasn't a big right. change just you didn't understand Dutch my salary <laughs> was in euros that was different right. still wherever you are whether it's Mexico Latin America Europe it's more difficult to um, succeed as a female scientist in mm. academia yeah I guess that that's what I would but I wish I knew mm -hmm. right. and is there something you wish you had known before quitting academia wow yes totally since then I felt so I finished my PhD then I took a little break because I defended at the end of October last last year mm -hmm. 2020 was this year no okay so already oh God, two years and 22 almost now. a year and a half wow <laughs> wow okay so I got it at the end of 2020 then I took a little break because I was like okay finally it's over I need to pass out for a month and do nothing but Netflix and chill <laughs> and then I felt super lost. I felt the, I think that's the most intense identity crisis that I had. And it took me a while to understand why was the reason. And one of, well, there were many reasons behind it, but one of them was also to understand that for my whole like, uh, professional life, I always had a supervisor, all that, mm -hmm. always somebody telling me what to do. Mm -hmm. And recently, and that's what I, uh, when I talked about you and like, having you as a role model I understood the necessity that it was kind of like I felt I have a problem acknowledging it because I felt too proud to say it out loud but I do need guidance mm -hmm. and I for example I wish I'm still in the search for a mentor at the moment you know right, yeah. and I guess I got used to it because I, I always had a supervisor yeah. I always had a supervisor who not, not only told me about how to approach this experiment or how to analyze this data, but also telling me what to, most of them, not all of them, um, some were better leaders than others, and they were also interested in my future. And suddenly I stopped having that. Mm -hmm. And then I felt so lost. Yeah. So um, 
Yeah, that's when I sent you that message, and I was like, I, I I'm the replacement now. <laughs> <laughs> you exactly. Can always ask me if you need anything. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I I know what you mean. Like the suddenly you're on your own, you're responsible on your own. You can't be like, hey, I, I don't know, but I'm gonna ask my supervisor. That all goes away. I mean, you have a boss now, right? So you, I guess in in that regard, we still have someone that we report. Yeah, to. and it still feels like it's. It's the environment that I'm working at the moment is so um, linear. It doesn't feel like they're hierarchies. First oh, of all, it's more like everybody is the same. Exactly, mm -hmm. which I love because my input is super appreciated, and I sometimes I feel like I'm the wiser. In, in uh, not saying that people are stupid, but like no, coming from not, coming yeah. from my, my academic background mm -hmm. compared to other people that have background in human resources and mm -hmm. stuff. I come with another input and it's interesting to see how it clashes mm -hmm. and how people sometimes ask for my advice and I like that a lot. Uh, I never experienced that and um, yeah. Well, that's great. Mm -hmm. Now you can you know, be the person that people come to when they have questions. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I, I have you ever regretted leaving just briefly? Yes, no. No? No. <laughs> no, I also haven't. Every now and then I daydream and I think like, oh, you know how you kind of like idolize academia every now and then you're like, yes, oh, you know, remember those good times you had studying late night in the library or something, you know, and then I'm thinking, oh, I don't want to do that again. <laughs> you know what? There's one thing that I do regret and was the fact that my research wasn't published. I pushed for a tiny paper. Mm hmm was not so relevant because at the end we had some struggles in the collaboration that we were having but it was still data that i really put a lot of effort into and uh, i do regret that and mm. and because and every now and then i see of course my twitter is full my, is my only social media well plus tiktok but i see all these people which i love because i think that's one of the, of the things that i love from twitter how um supportive the community there is so, yeah so supportive and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and people like i published my first first authorship and, and people like, are like oh my god yeah this is so cool and all <laughs> yeah, these gifts and stuff and i'm like oh man i i wish i could have that you know that's the only thing that i that i regret that but i yeah mm -hmm. but you you've since then you've done a lot of cool like outreach or yeah. you talked about your work and i think that's what it's all about like it's great if you have a paper and oh people are citing that that's great but talking to real people outside of your field and telling them about science i think yeah. that's like science communication and you've done that so you shared your science and you've done well you so helped me well. do that yeah you've so thank done you it so well <laughs> and um yeah you're you're really great and i and I'm so glad we met and that we Me both too. that we both left academia because I have lots of friends who have never done that mm -hmm. or who like all like IT nerds you know they do that kind of stuff <laughs> and then I have a lot of friends who are still in science uh, or do teaching now so it's really nice to have someone to talk about this common thing that really impacted our lives and we both done the research grind and we both like left it and it's kind of like a nice thing to every now and then reflect with someone who's done something similar mm -hmm. and yeah and that's why I'm so happy that we got to talk about this today and I still learned some new things about <laughs> you which uh, is super nice and I hope everybody who listened either felt seen yeah, or heard something totally. new or yeah just as long as someone heard this and felt like okay I'm not alone with my worries or I'm not alone with my struggles thinking about leaving there is no shame ever in leaving and knowing what's best for you and maybe your family or your, your partnership or your mental health whatever it is leaving academia is not failing it's just oh not at all not at all not it's at just all. Um, realizing that there are other things out there that exactly. you can do with your expertise and um, 
So if you ever think a new feeling, that's not happening. It's not. It's just a new path, and I'm really glad I took that one, and I'm glad you took that one because you seem so happy and yeah. I'm yeah more balanced now. More balanced and yeah. Thanks again for inviting me to your office today and having a <laughs> my cup dark of coffee <laughs> in the dark and uh, finishing your cup of coffee. You're so sugar, mine without. <laughs> and for yeah, for not sugarcoating your answers, they saw because you know podcasts <laughs> science with milk, no sugar, and that's actually why we called it that. So yeah. Thanks again for everybody who listened today and who listened to the end. It's a very <laughs> long episode, but I hope um, you stayed with us until the end. And we have a lot of cool episodes coming up, different topics. We'll hear each other then. So thank you so much. Thanks again for being thank here, you. Diana. <laughs> and I mean, we'll probably now try and find our way out in the dark. Yeah, we managed before. <laughs> we managed. We'll do it again. So yeah, thanks everybody. Bye. Bye.